All right, we're live. My name is Seth Fontaine Pennock, and I'm here with my colleague Hugo Alberts. Hugo, welcome to our first PositivePsychology.com podcast. Yeah, thanks, Seb. It's, uh, it's quite exciting. I don't know what to expect yet, but I'm uh, really thrilled to uh, you know, do this with you. Yeah, we'll see what happens, uh, I guess. Uh, how do you feel about this? I know we've been talking about this idea of doing a podcast for a long time. So, yeah, wh- what do you think? I- I'm really excited. I, you know, I think the reason why we talked so much about it is that we had a lot of phone calls, of course, in which we discussed, I think, r- really interesting topics that you know, I would love to you know, share with other people and also hear their opinion about. So I thought, why not spread, spread the idea and just hear what people think? So I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah. Just to give some background information for for the listeners, um, every time, almost every time, I'm on a phone call with Hugo. At the end of our conversation, I'm like, oh, "I wish we had recorded this so that we could uh, share this um, with our with our listeners as uh, as content." So um, yeah, I'm very excited about finally uh, doing this with you. Maybe we can pick up the the conversation we were having earlier this morning. Yeah, exactly. So this morning, actually, uh, I called Seb and I asked him, like, hi, man, how was the weekend? I know that he had a quite, you know, I would say turbulent week last week because we, you know, as some of you may know, we went from Positive Psychology Program to a new website and, you know, some things went wrong, as usual, of course. So he worked a lot of hours and I noticed that he was quite stressed, so I asked him how he was and, uh, you know. So I was happy that he said he had a nice weekend. And then we started talking about, you know, what was going on and the idea of thought and getting stuck into a negativity bias and, and that kind of stuff. So maybe you can elaborate a bit more on that, Sap. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I've been, I've been living up to the moment of finally launching the PositivePsychology.com website ever since uh, I purchased the domain back in the uh, autumn of 2016. So it's like... Uh, over two and a half years ago um the the vision i always had for the platform that we're building this this positive psychology platform was always that the the website would be hosted on the domain positivepsychology.com because i think it's just the best domain for us of course it's the name for uh, of the field itself um so i'm actually very honored to be representing that with with our new brand um but yeah it's something that i've been living up to for many years which is why i think the pressure was maybe so high um and you you know you just want everything to go right and of course with the transfer like that pretty much everything goes wrong so um yeah that i i I was like almost on a 72 hour skype call with jeff one of our uh, developers just like trying to fix everything um and then it's super frustrating because of course i'm not a developer myself so i can only work uh, with a developer um, that I'm dependent on but luckily Jeff is an amazing programmer and our other dev is too so yeah but still anyway I, I was in this mode of fault finding you know looking trying to find everything that was going wrong so that we could fix it and what I found very difficult uh, was to get out of that mode because I was just stuck in this mode of like negativity, like everything we need to fix, making lists. And then privately, like in, as soon as I stopped working, uh, it was very hard to get out of this mode, I noticed. Luckily, I, there was some awareness, like I was aware of what was happening. So I was able to bring some, 
some curiosity to my state, but still my, my feelings didn't change. I still felt, you know, stuck in this mode of um, negativity. So I really needed to reset over the weekend, um, which luckily uh, I have done. So, yeah, what do, you, what do you make of all this? Yeah, for me, actually, it was it was quite interesting because often what I've noticed is that there's a lot of synchronicity going on. A lot of things that you're working on, that you're experiencing or I am experiencing, uh, they happen at the same time. So, so this week I noticed how often our thoughts actually attract our attention. It's like they want to be noticed and they want your attention. And it's like an addiction kind of uh, the thinking process that we all have in our mind. Our thoughts constantly ask for our attention. And this is something I noticed, you know, it's that you sometimes cannot stop thinking. It's like they demand your attention. And when you were talking to me last week, I noticed that you were also a bit stuck in, 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 in the mind game, you know, always thinking, solving problems. A lot of stuff goes on in the head. And this morning you told me like one of your favorite quotes of Tony Robbins is, something like in your if you stay if you stay in your head you're dead or something i don't yeah exactly you're you're in your head you're dead he always says yeah yeah beautiful and this is what i realized as well you know when once we start living in our head we start actually not living the real life anymore and um the only thing you can do is to do something different uh, than to live in your head and that means I think to connect to life as it is again to the present moment as it unfolds in a non-thinking mode so I was really happy when you told me that you were having a good time with friends at the beach and a beach and so on because I think that's a very I think a very powerful thing to do to get out of that thinking mode yeah you have to break the pattern somehow and um, um, it's difficult to do that by yourself uh, sitting alone in a room <laughs> so it's usually a good idea to to go out maybe you know go for a hike in in nature or or be with friends um and something that really helps for me as well is um exercise so i started yes. doing crossfit uh, about a month ago and i've been really enjoying it so far and this morning i just had a like one of the most intense workouts i've probably had it in my life um and I felt so much better afterwards. I also had a good night's sleep. But then I realized, like, oh, yeah, you have to, like, physically break the pattern to, like, mentally get out of your mode of, of, of stuckness, you know? Exactly. Like the mind-body so, mind connection, it's super powerful. Exactly. So what I, I love so much about your story is that as soon as you step out of it, you notice how much you were in it in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So this is why it's so important we have to break the pattern. I think this is why it's so important to be mindful of when this process of overthinking happens, when we're so stuck in our thoughts happens. If we notice that it's going on, we can do something to get out of it. You disconnect from it and then you slowly start to realize, oh my God, I was so lost in all this whatever thinking, negativity and so on. I think one of the things that the mind does is that it tends to create problems or things to solve, you know, and it's just needs something it cannot deal with the present moment the thought is always concerned with a potential future or something that happened in the past analyzing this but it's never really focused on this moment because the mind cannot analyze the moment the moment unfolds as it is and um i think what i love so much about the mystery of, of thinking is that we all believe that it's so important to think a lot and 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 you know live a lot in our head but actually I don't think so. I think many things you can do without thinking and yet be very creative and produce a productive uh, 
and you don't need to overanalyze everything. I think when we are in a flow state, most people are just so connected to what they're doing. They're not constantly thinking, but they're just immersed in a way. And um, I think that's also the beauty of, of, of finding work that you love, that you have this ability to, to lose yourself and your thinking process about yourself, about who you are and what you want to be and who you should be. And, and disconnect from that and, and connect to life as it unfolds, namely the very thing you're doing. Right, right. Uh, this reminds me of something that uh, my, my, my writing coach, Catherine Britton, um, that she asked me a couple of months ago, she asked me, like, how often during the week, during a typical you know, work week, are you experiencing flow? Hmm. And... You know, okay, tell me more about when you are experiencing flow and maybe how to, you know, build these moments, um, you know, to create those moments more often there, during the week. So I really had to think about that. And one of the things for me was always um, exercise, you know, sports, maybe team sports. I've, I've always um, done that a lot in my life. And uh, over the past couple of years, it got slightly less and less. And that's also what made me realize, like, ah, okay, I need to prioritize this again. Because, of course, it's easy to say, like, yeah, I don't have the time. But it's, that's, I think it's always, uh, yeah, um, when people say that, I don't have the time, it always comes from, like, this defensive mode of, like, I know I should be doing this, but there's some cognitive dissonance trick that yes. they're playing on themselves, right? It's like, no, we all have the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours. It's just, the question is just like, how do you, what do you prioritize during exactly. those 24 hours, right? Yeah, so I, I actually started prioritizing exercise uh, higher than my work because it only takes a couple of hours a week. That, that's nothing. But if I make it a priority, then it really happens. Yeah, exactly. So when people tell you, like, I don't have time for this, what you're actually saying is it's not that high in my, you know, list of priority things, right? Exactly. It's yeah. not one of my priorities, yeah. Yeah, so maybe for you know, maybe it's good to to talk about like why do we start our first, you know, positivepsychology.com podcast talking about maybe more negative experiences or about this mode. Like maybe some people might be wondering like Okay, yeah. I thought this was about positive psychology. So, yeah, how would you reply to that? Oh, I have a very clear answer to that. I think, um, for me, one of the um, the downsides of the name positive psychology is that it implies that it's all about, you know, being happy, no problems, you know, smiling, uh, the problem-free life. But for me, it, it's... I don't like the term positive psychology, honestly. I would love the term well-being psychology or something because I think what we're dealing with is how to create a meaningful life, a life that is worth living rather than just a simple, you know, happy life. Because in the end, I think we all face misery and, and problems. And I think it's not the goal of life to not have this, but to deal with it in a way that promotes well-being. So for me, uh, I think the negative side of life is inevitable and I think I don't believe so much in, in negativity. I think negativity is positivity in a hidden form. I think we can all learn from the struggles we have and the things we are not so good at and so on. I think in, in everything there is a potential for growth. So for me, mm. life is not about happiness or something. For me, it's about growth, about developing yourself, about um, you know, 
cultivating your strengths, gratitude, all that kind of stuff. But it's not about circumventing the negative, because otherwise I would say it's, it's too simple. It's, 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 it's not in line with reality. And I think for many coaches and people, and clinicians, practitioners, psychologists, whatever you want to call them, I think many of them know that um, problems are part of our daily existence. Um, so to come up with a branch of psychology that ignores that, I think it's just naive. So this mm. is why I like so much the whole idea of second wave positive psychology. And for me, positivepsychology.com is all about the second wave approach, which is all about incorporating the dark and the bright side of life and transcending that in a way, I would say, um, rather right. than just focusing on one side of, uh, of the two, you know? Yeah, exactly. I completely hear what you're saying. I, I'm always reminded of this when... I hear parents say, like, oh, I just want my kids to be happy. Mm. You know, I, ju I just want my son to be happy. And then I'm like, you, do you really just want your kids to be happy? Like, that's it? I mean, I, I, I think I understand what they mean. Like, that what they mean, I think, is they want a good life yes. for, their, for their children, which is very understandable. But I think the phrasing is kind of awkward where... You're using the word, the word happiness. Like I would rather say, I want my kids to have the strength to deal with the inevitable um, suffering that life has to offer and to have the appreciation to, um, to make the most out of all of the beautiful things that life has to offer, right? That's like both sides of the, of the, of the same coin, Yeah, absolutely. I was I was once reading a book, and it, I think the, the the introduction went something like: Imagine you could give your kids one thing before they start their lives, right? What would it be? Would you give them an infinite amount of money, or what would it be? And I think most people will agree that if you could choose about choose among all these options, I think giving them an infinite amount of money wasn't the thing that you would give them. Probably you would give them something different, maybe the ability. Uh, you know, to remain true to themselves, to follow their heart or whatever it is. But, um, you know, that example always resonated with me because this is also how we often approach uh, work and, and companies. You know, many people believe it's all about money, just making enough money and so on. But I think a healthy company or a healthy idea is never about money in the first place. Money is perhaps an outcome, but it's not the very process that, that makes something beautiful. You know mm. what I mean? And the same applies to life. You know, I think happiness per se is not what makes life so beautiful. I think what makes life beautiful is the very, very fact that we have negativity to overcome, that we have struggles, that we can grow, that we can learn, that we can. I think you, 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 if you wouldn't experience the loss and the pain that is so part of life, you wouldn't be humble. You would be arrogant. You would you feel entitled. And I think entitlement, mm. I, I, actually, I know that there is research that one of the things that correlates very highly in a negative way with gratitude is entitlement. People who feel entitled cannot be gra grateful. Sure. And that makes sense, of course. So, so you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, when you were talking about, you know, and giving kids... Uh, large amount of of money one of the quotes that came to mind i don't know where i picked this up but someone said the person most able to uh, purchase a beach house will be least able to enjoy it you know because yes. this person will be looking at the the, the beach house right next to, next to his or hers and 
thinking like, okay, how can I, you know, expand my real estate uh, uh, portfolio? How can I also acquire that or a bigger one or a more beautiful one? And do, <laughs> it's not the type of person who sits on the porch, you know, looks at the waves and is like truly fulfilled or satisfied. No, the people who are probably more fulfilled or satisfied are the people he's going to be renting out the beach house to, you know, the family that can just afford to go there for like five days and they're going to appreciate the hell out of it. You know, they're going to enjoy it so much and talk about it for years and, and remember it. And, and so often I see this pattern of like people who are able to buy something. They're not the ones that are going to truly enjoy it. No. Um, so yeah, that, that's an interesting. So so what does that mean? I think it has a lot to do with habituation, right? That has to do with the, the hedonic treadmill. It's where you're used to be able to afford something, so it's no longer um, exciting. It's no longer new. It's no longer something that sticks out in your attention, so that you're really going to you know, give your full. Um, awareness and, and appreciation to it because it's it's not new it's not something that sticks out no what and, do, and you, here, what do you think, think about that yeah it's cool i think here kicks in the, the the necessity of negativity so what happens if people suddenly are confronted with um a loss or something right you you uh for instance you have this beautiful perfect life where everything is fine and so on and suddenly you know uh a dear friend of you dies, right? Suddenly, people have like this wake-up call and suddenly they start to, you know, realize how important friendship is and all these kinds of things. I think this is also very apparent from the research on near-death experiences. Many people that um, have a near-death experience, they start to re-evaluate life. They start to invest more in the people they truly love. They quit their jobs and so on. So what, what sometimes happens is that the negativity is in, 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 in some way it's like disguised. It's it's a disguised wake up call. So I, I, I read a quote and I think it's it's so powerful. It, it was about depression. It went something like what if depression is not the sign of a of, of a human being that is not functioning well, but a very well functioning human being that is just giving a lot of wake up calls to change his or her life. You know, maybe mm. a depressed state is nothing more than a sign, uh, uh, you know, an indication that we should do something differently in life. So it's not about a disease; it's a very well functioning system we're talking about here uh, that is trying right. to make something clear. And and um. I think, I'm not sure what it is, of course, I, but, but sometimes it has to do with re-evaluating the things we do. Maybe we should change our job, our relationship. Maybe we should you know, take a drastic turn and do things completely different. Um, and maybe that's what feelings and emotions are really trying to tell us, that something needs our attention. Right. And, and this is something that, of course, goes directly against the whole diagnosing people with depression, you know? Uh, mm. model that that we have nowadays where you know, sometimes there's they don't even ask a simple question like you know how, how are you doing like what what's happening in your life it's like oh you're experiencing these symptoms oh that's completely neurochemical i'll prescribe you uh, something um you know the mm. sera, serotonin reuptake inhibitors or, or what have you you know that will deal with this it's like no, you know, this might very well be probably is a well-functioning human being, except there's just some, some feedback going on. And then the question is, what is the feedback 
trying to, to say, like what kind of feedback is exactly. it? And that's why I think uh, a good a good psychotherapist um, can be of way more use here than a, than a traditional psychiatrist who just starts pre- prescribing antidepressants uh, right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's all about that whole picture. A human being is so complex and life is so complex. It's never... Um, you know, haven't you ever wondered that we're all alive here? We all have these lives and everything is, you know, miraculously working. You know, we can, we can use our hands, we can walk, we can think, we can do all that kind of stuff. Our body is taking care of us 24-7 and we're not doing anything consciously about it. Our heart is, you know, pounding at this moment and we're not mm. doing anything about it. It's just working. And yet we, we approach feelings and, and emotions as something that is wrong. And for me, positive and negative emotions is actually quite strange. The whole idea of an emotion that is negative. I think an emotion is a feedback mechanism. And maybe we find it difficult to deal with them, but that doesn't make them negative. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a label, right? The negative is no more than a mental label. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, And more even so, I think, because we grow up all with the idea that we don't uh, you know, we shouldn't experience negative emotions uh, or we should, you know, control them or whatever. I think people over time develop very negative and, and or I would say uh, negative is not the right word. I would say uh, unhealthy relationship with, with negative emotions. We embrace positive emotions, but when it comes to negative emotions, we try to push them away or regulate them, talk about it, but they're not allowed to be there. And I think once we start transcending it, so we get back to the very first beginning of you know, this call, when we're talking about positive psychology, once we start to transcend negativity and positivity, mm. we say, well, it's not about being good or right or wrong or whatever you want to call it. It's about embracing it as part of life and see what you can do with it. What can I learn from it? What, what is this emotion trying to tell me? If, if, mm. if you're experiencing anger, you can push away the anger, but you can also ask what kind of boundary is being violated here? my personal boundary or whatever, what is really going on here? And I think once you start doing that, the emotions start to serve a function. And I think this is, if you approach life in that way, I think it's, it's, it's becoming, in any case, I would not say easy, but, well, more effective maybe, or in, in any case, easier to generate some well, kind of happiness. Yeah, it's also another the constant identification with, with the ego or the or the it, right? It's more a super ego kind of mode that you enter when you develop these skills of awareness and curiosity. Like you can become aware of a certain feeling or state mm-hmm. that you're in, um, right? And then maybe by by bringing an attitude of curiosity to it, you can start to explore it and maybe even find some some golden nuggets of like information there that you can start acting on um and that you can change your your behavior your your daily routines based on this feedback that you, that you got about your own life because because there are no, no general prescriptions for this of course it has to it has to come from the inside exactly right and also and also the motivation to change, therefore, has to come from the inside. Like it's a very intrinsic process, where, whereas I think a lot of people start looking outwards when they are experiencing some problems, right? It's like seeking the help of a doctor. Okay, that we can already call that some sort of extrinsic solution. Not that I'm <laughs> against that or saying, like, don't go to a doctor, but it's like, 
Yeah, but have you tried listening to your own body? Did you try mm. to listen to your own mind? Because maybe that would be a good place to start. Yeah, but it's, it's really hard because I think spending time alone is really difficult because once mm. you're alone, there are these thoughts coming up and there is just me and there is no distractions. Uh, and I noticed this myself as well, of course. It's, it's really easy to occupy the mind with a lot of things. You can, you know, you, we have social media, we have all these actually external things that ask for our attention. But I think right. what we're talking about here is more like a, an internal curiosity. And I think what I love so much about kids is that they have this curiosity for life still, you know. They grow up, they want to know everything. My son is so eager to know everything. He's curious. Mm -hmm. He wants to know what it means, what it feels like, what it's like in America, whatever. He's, he's asking all these questions. And the sense of curiosity, sometimes I feel that we start to lose it as we grow older. And I think when we can keep this feeling of curiosity and apply it to our own inner life, to what we feel, what our body is trying to tell us, uh, rather than just pushing it away or seeing it as negative. I think it can be of a tremendous value. I think the very stance itself, not even the outcome, what your analysis is or whatever, but I think the stance, the, the curiosity towards what you experience itself, that very stance is very helpful because it's, it's open, it's kind, it's not black and white, it's not judging, it's, it's, it's free from that. You see what I mean? Right, that's... It's completely free of dogma, free of preconceived notions, or as far as as that's possible. It's like it's bordering, you know, taking an objective stance towards the self. Which, of course, I I think this is extremely difficult to do because that means you would have to step out of so many biases that are just you know that are you know inbred you know in our that are in our in our genes. So. But I think it's a, a very courageous thing to do. But Hugo, why do you think it's, because you said this before, this line of, it can be very hard to be with yourself. I'm curious, why do you think that is? Why is that? Um, it's a very good question because honestly, um, you know, I, I suffered from this problem myself as well. As I grow older, it, it tends to get less. But I remember like 20 years ago, I couldn't be alone. You know, I always had friends around me. I always... Uh, you know, need to do something to, to not feel alone. And I think in the end, if you ask me, I think when we're really alone and we're not being a real good friend to ourselves, I think we feel alone. <laughs> so we mm. feel lonely, I think. And I think that feeling of loneliness is, is very painful. Um, so one of my, my best friends, he once told me, he's, he's way, way older than I am, and he said, my goal of life is to become a better friend of myself. And I didn't know what he was talking about back then. But now as I grow older, I, I start to realize what he's talking about. He's talking about the ability to accept yourself and to, you know, spend time with yourself and be okay with yourself alone. You know, I think to, to be in good company when you're alone. Um, yeah, exactly. And maybe this is the difference between loneliness and solitude, right? Where solitude is being able to be with yourself and being okay with that. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, ex ex exactly. I, I, recently, I, uh, I read a paper that actually uh, made this distinction, and many scholars also make this distinction between the perceived uh, loneliness uh, and actual loneliness. You know, there are many people that have a very extensive network and yet feel lonely. 
So it's not per se about having a lot of people in your life. It's about how you feel among those people. And more importantly, perhaps, how you feel when you're alone. Um, right. I know of similar research when it came to social support. I, I'm not sure whether that's the same study as you were talking about. But that perceived social support is, is way more important than the actual social support. Yep. Which is, yep. you know, it makes sense, but it's, it's interesting nonetheless. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But for me, again, this applies to another very important principle of, of for me, of, uh, of positive psychology, namely that it's the mind that creates this world. You know, everything is shaped yes. by uh, the way we see things, not the things themselves. I think the things themselves change as we change the way we look at them. Um, so for me, one of the ground rules of, of a life well lived is, is the responsibility that comes with, you know, looking at things in a particular way. I think if we choose to, to look at it from a dark side, from a negative side, the things themselves will turn dark, you know. And if we choose to look at it from a curiosity perspective, of, from a gratitude perspective, the things themselves change. So yeah, that absolutely. whole idea is at the very foundation, I think, of many of the studies that are being done in the field, that we shape our reality by the way we think of it. Mm, you know, you got, there's this... Um, a little booklet by Nietzsche. Um, it's called Why I Am So Wise. Um, it's been published by Penguin. It's just a short little booklet. And he ends one of the chapters with a sentence that made such a deep impression on me. He tells like this, this story about himself right in this, in this chapter. And then he ends the chapter with the line, And so I tell myself my life. Wow. That was so, so insanely beautiful to me you know he captures it perfectly in one sentence he just he, he sums up cognitive behavioral therapy for one but like meaning making as well it's like you you're telling yourself your life with all of these narrative and these stories that you're forming about your you know your past how this has given shape to who you currently are maybe you know people that you're that you're blaming maybe self-blame your self-worth like everything that comes as a result of these narratives that you formed and that are deeply ingrained and that you have been believing in for decades, yes. um, which, which can make it very difficult to change behavior, of course. I think that can be the biggest obstacle. Yeah, absolutely. So what is so funny about this is that actually we're getting back to the very beginning of our talk because we were talking about thoughts, right? About continuously thinking, getting stuck in this mind mode. I think what, what the mind tends to do is create stories. It just wants, it wants to understand things, interpret things, analyze things. And to do so, it produces words and symbols and all that kind of stuff in your mind. But those are not reality. A word mm. is not reality. And, and I think here's where the confusion starts. I think that we do this also with ourselves. We create stories about who we are, uh, what we did in life, whether it was good or wrong, what other people are, what they do, and so on. And this narrative... It's so pervasive. It actually is there and we don't know it. We so strongly identify with it. We believe it that it tends to you know, start to live on its own. Um, and this is why I, I start to you know, see the benefit more and more of learning to get out of thinking and mm. way more connect to life as it is in this moment. Just really feel life uh, in, the, in this moment by, by just you know, doing whatever you do with full attention. 
and not to be whatever you could say well I'm trying to be mindful but that's again it's another label that you put on yourself I'm a mindful person or I'm it, it has nothing to do with that you don't do it to become something or to add something to your narrative it is just because if you pay attention to what ha- what is happening right here right now with full attention you know right. it comes to life it adds flavor to it it adds color to it that's why you, you're not doing anyone a favor but yourself it's all about you and I think what you did this weekend when you said, I, I'm having a good time with my friends, I think on a deeper level, you know, you could say from a positive psychology 1.0 perspective, you could say you were living the good life, right? You were enjoying it, maybe having ice cream, made some fun, blah, blah, blah. Hedonic well-being. A deep, a hedonic well-being, exactly. But on a deeper level, I think what was happening is that you were able to shut down that negative spiral that you were caught in, this thinking spiral, that problematic thinking spiral, and connect to life you know, on the beach, you know, and, and, and stop that very process. And it resetted you. If, if, if I understand you correctly, you said to me, like at this, in the beginning of this morning, you said, I feel resetted. I feel that my system is back up running again. Yeah, exactly. It was like rebooting your computer. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what it feels <laughs> exactly. like. Yeah. So, yeah. so for me, that would, for me, that would be like a very important take home message uh, for myself as well, by the way, because I recognize, of course, the very thing you're describing here to, to deliberately make more time to um, connect to life in a non-thinking way. <laughs> yeah. So, and I can re- uh, understand people might be wondering, like, how, how do you do this? Because I'm, I'm hearing your words. I understand that this is important, but how do you do this on a practical level? Like maybe you could tell something about what has helped you to actually connect with the present moment and be in the here and now. Like what are some practical strategies for that? Very good question. I think there are many of them, but the, the, the simplest way to do it is to connect to, you know, the senses to, uh, if you notice that you're, you know, caught in, in thinking, just stop Breathe in, breathe out, and pay full attention to your breath. Because once you're focusing on your breath, you're not thinking. If you're thinking, you're not focusing on your breath. So the breath, the breathing, is a very powerful way to come back to this present moment. It's happening right here, right now. And as long as you live, it's always with you. <laughs> so this is one. But you can also um, you know, do it with another, uh, in another way. For instance, I, every day I reserve some time for myself to enjoy my cup of coffee mindfully. So I go outside, preferably... Um, you know, and like 10 minutes or so, just really only pay attention to this cup of coffee. I'm not using my computer, my phone, it's just me and my coffee. Or um, you can even do it in a social context when you're talking to people. What if you could fully pay attention to the moment as it unfolds, to what people are saying, not what you want to say or what your mind is making of this other person, but to the very conversation at this moment. What happens if you just do it? I think mindfulness comes in moments. It's not about sitting on a cushion for, for 50 minutes a day. That can mm-hmm. be very powerful, yeah, of course. But I think what we're talking about here, getting out of that thinking mode, is basically connecting to the very experience of this moment. Whatever this experience is, it may be the sound of something, maybe you can close your eyes and listen to the music. You can fully engage in the very thing you're doing, not multitasking many things at the same time, but just focus on one thing at a time. Uh, It's a conversation with somebody. It's maybe your breath, it's your body. It doesn't matter what it is, but anything that happens in the the present moment with full attention. Because... Mm. If, and, uh, you know, everything is like a muscle, I guess. You know, we can train it. And the more we do that, the easier it becomes. 
And many people, when I ask, they ask me like, how are you, how do you run your company? How, how do you do that? How do you make all these tough decisions? And most of them are really surprised that I tell them that I do not tend to overthink them. I, I, I tend to go with what feels right at that moment and, and follow my intuition and rather than just making complex analysis of what, whatever goes on. Because I think in the end, you know, your body is a feedback system and many things, many choices that we make are reflected by, by what, what our body tells us. Yeah. Yeah, th this has been a tough process for me, and still is the uh, listening to my to my intuition instead of you know rationalizing things and trying to come to a logical, rational uh, decision on on something. But I, I feel like that's something we could do a complete separate uh, podcast about about you know <laughs> learning learning to listen to your intuition. And uh, I'm sure you have a, a lot of a lot of uh, inspiring things to to say about that as well. Well, I don't know, you know, I try to do it uh, as much as possible, but, um, you know, I think we're all being trained in a very rational way. We tend to rely very much on thinking, analyzing things, but yeah. I love to use this example of buying a new house, right? Um, I think you buy a new house not by comparing all the pros and cons of another house, but by entering the house and just noticing and if you want to feel, if you feel at home in this house, if you yeah. would love to live in this house, basically that's not a rational thing. It's an intuitive thing. You just yeah. know whether you should do it or not. And honestly, I know people that made that decision purely based on a rational choice. And, and quite a few of them also regret their choice afterwards. Maybe, mm. you know, rationally it's the best choice to take this house because, you know, it's, it's good value for money, blah, blah, blah. But that's not the issue. The issue is whether you feel at home and whether you want to go back home and you look forward going back to this very home rather than whether it's right or wrong objectively. I think that's, <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah, I think that's such a great example because I immediately know what you're talking about where, you know, the times when I went looking for a new home, sometimes I entered the house and I just immediately felt like, okay, you know, realtor, you can say to me whatever you're going to say, but it, it, it's not going to change my feeling like this is not the house, right? And, you know, it just exactly. right off the bat, it's like, I am never going to be living here. I know that for a fact. And where exactly. does that feeling, where does that, you know, that intuition come from? It's, that, we don't <laughs> it's, know. it's very interesting. No. And I think it's pretty much impossible to get to the bottom of that, although an attempt would be interesting to witness. But um, And sometimes you have the opposite. It's like you, you enter and it's like, oh, yeah, 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 this is it, you know? Exactly. Be, you, you, you know what comes to mind? You remember when we were, had to select the, um, the location for the master oh, classes yes. that we recorded? Yes. Yeah. So, so for the <laughs> listeners, that's maybe funny to hear. So, so we were recording a master class series, um, and we were not, you know, we did not choose the right location yet. So we were visiting all these places, and it was constantly no. Both of us were like, no, man, it's not going to happen. And suddenly we, you know, actually it was your idea. We, we went to a castle and I, I believe we were not even in the castle yet. And no, we both were like, yeah. yes, it, this is it, it. This is it. This is it. It's going to be this one. It was like the lane with trees, you know, that led towards the castle. We were driving there and it was already like, yep, this is it. Yeah, this, we don't even need to see the inside. It just felt right. 
Exactly. And mm-hmm. I think this is also some things I think I'm, I'm not sure whether science will ever fully understand what's going on there. But for me, that's also the beauty of of life, you know, and all those things like love and, and intuition and that kind of stuff. You can rationalize it, whatever you want. But I doubt whether you get to the real core. I think for me, what I learned from making music, you know, I've been making music for over 20 years, is that you you it's really hard to do it rationally. You cannot say, well, I'm going to play this melody now. It just unfolds and you create. And um, this is also why I hate it when people try to analyze what makes a good song a good song. You know, as if this writer chose this song rationally to be that way. Like, oh, I'm going to play this note and then I'm going to use this distance between the notes and then it will be a hit or something. It doesn't work like that. Mm. But after the fact, you know, in retrospect, people start to analyze and say, yeah, it's very catchy because of this and that. And but it's 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 explaining, but it's not it's not I think getting to the real core of of what happened in the creative process. Right. Though of course it's a it's a control mechanism you know kicking in that tries to understand it. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote a book about this. Uh, Big Magic uh, was recommended to me a while ago. I, I read it and it talks about this idea as well. It, it about an idea like visiting you kind of as an as an entity in itself you know sitting on your shoulder mm-hmm. and waiting for you to be ready to to receive it and to trust it and then to let itself express you know the idea through you and Ooh, but yeah. then and and if you're not ready and if you're in the in the rational mode and you're trying to you know to force too much about it then you're you're not ready for this idea and the idea will go on and go to someone else who will then maybe be ready to give expression to that idea. And of course, it's all one big metaphor. Um, but I really love this uh, this way of, of looking at things because there's like as soon as you start using force, it it goes, it flees. You know, it's gone. Exactly. And that's yep. ex- exactly what I have experienced in in writing stuff as well. If I want to write a book about something, I desperately want it because of I don't know because of like the signaling, the sta- the status what I think it will do for me, all of these extrinsic things, not a chance I'm going to be finishing it. I'm going to struggle a hell of a lot during the writing process. I probably won't enjoy it. It will be like a to-do on on my list. Whereas I have this completely different mode that I can be in while I'm writing. And I know it's like vastly different because it just flows. I don't feel that I'm writing. I'm just channeling words, you know, that... I have no yep. idea who who is writing this, but I sure as shit ain't. You know, it's like it's happening. It's just flowing out of me. Um, yeah, very, much. very, very different mode. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also what many musicians recognize. Once you're in the flow state, it, it's not that like you are playing the guitar. Actually, the music comes out of you, and it's really hard to describe how it works. But it's it's like you're in sync with life or whatever you're doing. There, it's a perfect congruence. A congruence between you and the very thing you're doing. And um, I love to think of it as effortless creation. I think we're so mm. much uh, trained in effortful creation. We all believe that we should really work hard and do your best and overcome goals and a lot of willpower and all that kind of stuff. But I think many beautiful things can also emerge from this effortless creation in which you just align with what you love doing. You choose what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, and then the results flow from that very state of um, basically love for what you do. I think then the creation itself will carry the love that you created it with you in itself. 
So um, and it's selfless it in a way as well, right? Exactly, it's like it is selfless. There is no self involved. It just follows mm. naturally. So this is why I'm starting to experiment in my own life way more with effortless creation. What can I do that I truly enjoy doing, and that I lose myself in, and I lose a sense of time in? And and what happens if I do this? What is the result of this? And what I've noticed is what is created with love is 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 so much more powerful. That's something that is created with a lot of pressure and have to and whatever not, you know. You, yeah, you know what? It's a love that is not obsessed with itself. It's a giving yeah. kind of love. It's a, Yes, exactly. It's an egoless kind of love. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And what I love so much about it is love has often like a romantic connotation about loving other people, whatever. But for me, it's... it's it's a whole different thing. I think love is, is, is what connects you with something else truthfully. That's for me is love, you know, and it can be with another human being, but it can also be with your work, with, with music, whatever it is. So um, I think, and what the mind does, to get back to the very beginning of this talk, I think what the mind does, an over-rational mind, it tends to disconnect us. It tries to rationalize everything, make bits and pieces of it, and actually lose this sense of, of wholeness that is so typical for a state in which we're connected. If you're connected to the very present moment, fully, for me, that's an act of love. You see what I mean? Because you're mm. embracing, the, you're connected, you're fully connected. Um, and not because you want to be a mindful person, because that would be self, uh, you call it like a self-connected love. You know, it's, there is a hidden agenda there. It's because you yeah. want to be somebody. Right. But it's just for the sake of connecting, just in the same way that kids play for the sake of playing. They don't play because they want to seem competent or they want to impress others. They just play because they want to play. And mm. I think if you approach life in the very same way, you start paying at- attention to it, not to be somebody, but just for the mere sake of paying attention, <laughs> right. you will experience a very, it's a different life. Yeah. Performing the activity, just for the sake of the activity itself, right? Something exactly, that, exactly. It's also something that, well, at least for me, that I've like slightly, well, I haven't completely lost it, luckily, but I've slightly lost that mode of like doing something just for the sake of doing it. Like usually there's some sort of goal behind there. It, it fits in some bigger picture of something I'm I'm trying to to achieve. Where it's such a big relief if if that's all of a sudden if it's not not necessary, you know, or if you, if you realize like okay, it's just it's perfectly fine to just to just sit here and be and sit in the sun and there's nothing that you have to achieve with by by doing that. And it's uh, yeah, exactly. It's rare. I feel productive. like it's rare. Yes, we're not being trained in not being productive. We all have to be very productive. It's a very pervasive belief that many of us, including myself, have. You know, and, and I suffer from it many times because even when I was on holiday, I felt guilty because I wasn't productive. Mm. And um, this is a forced way of living. It's, it, there is always something you need to do in order to be good enough. And I think, for me, one of the main reasons why I would love to do these podcasts with you is because it's just plain fun. There is, for me, there is no hidden agenda. It's just because I love talking to you about this stuff and this stuff. And if people enjoy it, that's that's beautiful. But uh, in the yeah. first place, I just love doing this. You know, it gives a certain lightness to the work we're doing. Right, and it's like we're having these conversations anyways because we always do every week. <laughs> the, the only exactly. difference is we're pressing record now, so I feel like that's that's intrinsic enough. 
of a reason yeah, to, very good. Uh, to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a nice, uh, a nice uh, moment to um, to conclude this uh, first session, Seb. Yeah, um, yeah, lads. We've I feel like we've gone all over the place. We've touched on so <laughs> many big topics. So I hope people will uh, be a little bit forgiving about that. But you know, if not, that's all right too. Um, yeah, looking forward to to doing this again, man. We should uh, definitely uh, keep it up. I think. Yeah, and also it's, to hear what people think of it and have to add to it. Um, I will also add a few videos to this podcast. I think I have some nice videos that will maybe even give a little bit more depth to this conversation um, about, you know, the loops of the mind and the rational mind, basically the topic that we tried to cover today. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, th- uh, thanks, Seb. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you, too. And uh, yeah, talk to you soon.